Hello, hello, and welcome to Non-Technical, where I, your host, Alexis Gay, interview influential folks from tech, media, business, and beyond about everything except their resumes. Today on the pod, I am so excited to say that we have Snigtha Sir, the founder and CEO of The Juggernaut, though obviously she's done a lot of other super impressive, really interesting things prior to that, which admittedly, I'm not going to ask her that much about. Snigtha, thank you for being here. Thanks so much for having me. This was like the most stoked I was to ever be on a podcast. Yes, I love to hear that. Honestly, put that right in my Twitter bio. (laughs) I'm excited to have you. I've been looking forward to this for a while. Are you ready to dive in? I'm so ready. Let's do it. This episode of Non-Technical is brought to you by Bets Connect, a recruiting platform unlike any other. Whether you're looking to hire the best go-to-market talent or looking for your next opportunity, Bets can help. Bets has spent more than a decade building relationships with the world's most innovative companies and professionals. And for the first time ever, you can access this network with Bets Connect. As the only go-to-market recruiting platform built by recruiters and powered by recruiters, Connect enables you to search through a network of vetted go-to-market professionals actively looking for their next opportunity and make better hires faster. In addition, Bets Connect clients the ROI within 90 days. Plus, if you're looking for your next big opportunity, you can join the Bets Network and get connected with the world's most innovative companies that are looking to hire go-to-market professionals like you. Learn more about hiring top talent or finding your next role at BetsRecruiting.com slash non-technical. Snig the Sir is the founder and CEO of The Juggernaut, a media company and community for the South Asian diaspora and beyond. She has worked at McKinsey and advised BuzzFeed, Quartz, Amazon Studios, Scrollin, and Reese Witherspoon's Hello Sunshine. She got her MBA at Harvard, studied economics and South Asian studies at Yale, and spent five months coding at Flatiron School. She was born in Chhattisgarh, India, grew up in the Bronx and Queens, New York, and has worked and lived in Mumbai, India. She can speak Hindi, Bengali, and now less fluent in Mandarin. She loves Bollywood and reading novels and will soon be releasing a brand new podcast highlighting South Asian founders. Snigda, welcome to Non-Technical. Thanks so much, Alexis. You are the best. You are really the best at what you do. <laughs> Let's do this. Stop, stop. No, don't stop. Keep going. <laughs> I'm truly excited. So you and I know each other because of <laughs> where else? But Clubhouse. Clubhouse. <laughs> Oh man, what a time. What a time. Yes, we were able to connect, I think first during my weekly Clubhouse talk show, Housing Around. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, Housing Around was such a breath of fresh air during the entirety of Clubhouse. What a, what a time. I really enjoyed it. You got to figure out the weird things about people. You were like looking at people's bios, testing them out. It was really fun. Just seeing what's up. I guess that's actually a great description of the show. Just one hour of seeing what's up. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yes. I'm very much looking forward to chatting with you today. And I know that we have some things in common. One thing is that we both love vanilla ice cream, which was a controversial topic. I can't believe that was so controversial. People really got angry over that. I know. It's like sometimes the simplest things in life are the most beautiful. And you know what? You can quote me on that. (laughs) (laughs) Needlepoint that shit. (laughs) I was really thinking like, who hurt these people as they were growing up? Was it that bad that they couldn't eat vanilla? I feel like, you know, there's that saying like, no action is also a choice. It's like, oh yeah, like I can't choose vanilla because that's just the default. And I'm like, no, you can. That's a great point. It's almost like we're so counterculture that we've looped all the way back. Liking vanilla is now counterculture. And I'm okay with that controversy. I will bear that controversy on my shoulders. I will. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid to. I mean, I think I tweeted about it and I was okay with the hate I got. (laughs) I love that about you. Okay. So tell me this. How did you spend your last day off? I think one of the things 
that I sometimes think about is we don't often give ourselves days off. I feel like sometimes we live in these weird hyper-connected worlds where it never really feels like you're taking a true day off. So like my new definition of taking a day Mm. off is, am I not online? Oh, really? Yeah, because I think being online like changes your brain. Oh, for sure. You know, I think the last time I wasn't online and it was so wonderful was my partner and I decided to hike up this mountain in Bora Bora. (gasps) And so we downloaded all these maps ahead of time because we couldn't get internet. Oh my God. It was such a hilarious situation because we tried climbing up five times Alexis, but we couldn't find the path. Like we couldn't find the path up the mountain. We go up this hill, we try to find it, can't find it. So come back down, try to talk to some folks who are locals, then go back up. And it happened like two or three times. And finally... I was like, you know what? I'm just going to bushwhack a little. So I like went up this path, even though it wasn't an obvious path. Really? Yeah. And then I found the path. Oh my God. But we had wasted like three hours. And by the time we even started our journey, it was like 11 a.m. We got up to the mountain. It was brutal, but epic. Like we had to climb ropes and stuff. Oh my God. And then I think it teaches you a lot about your partner because I was the one who was like, let's go forth. Let's get to the top. And he was like, yeah, got to turn around. The sun's going to go down. Wow. Wait, do you mean 11 p.m.? No, it was 11 a.m., but it was still too late because I think by the time we got to the summit, it was like 2.30 p.m. because Mm -hmm. there was still three and a half hours of climbing. I think the sun set around six. So we were like, okay, let's get to the top. And then he was like getting really nervous on the way down. Mm-hmm. And I was then de-energized because I made the mistake of packing only one bottle of water for this entire oh, hike. No, we don't love to see it. Hydrate or die. Hydrate, Hydrate. or die. Pack four bottles of water. You don't yeah. always need the food, but you definitely need the water. But we made it back. And it was a true testament to our partnership. <laughs> yes, I was going to say you made it back and you maintained a partnership. So I think those are both huge wins. Wow. <laughs> those were huge wins. So that that's my most memorable day off because truly we were not online and it was wonderful. Did you miss the internet just a little bit when you couldn't find the path? You know, in a weird way, I feel like the internet was messing us up more. Huh. We would like then try to use Google Maps and stuff. And Google Maps is not created for hiking. And it actually, we should have just trusted our offline maps more. So it's like a lot of trust. (laughs) I totally relate to that. Well, (laughs) I'm like, yes, I relate to your massive hike in Bora Bora. I was about to say, my friend and I were driving in Vermont and... (laughs) We had no service because we were in the middle of nowhere, Vermont, and we left the place that had Wi-Fi. And we were like, we know how to get to this other place. No, we didn't. So we ended up taking a long scenic route. It was for a wedding. So I felt like we really needed to be on time. I stopped and asked a stranger. I saw someone like in their yard and I was like, pull over. And I asked them. And then she went inside and got her mother-in-law and then her mother-in-law gave us directions. (laughs) And then did you get to the wedding on time? Yeah, I guess technically that was for the dinner the night before. So it wasn't as high stakes. I'm so glad you're mentioning it's about a wedding because we actually had a wedding the next day. So the stakes (gasps) were also a bit high for us because we're like, we got to get back. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yes. Not only that, but you can't like break an arm. You know what I mean? You can't break an arm. You can't have like a branch smack you in the face and have like a huge gash or something like that. Yeah. I'm pretty sure we still like got pretty battered and bruised or whatever, but then we just were like, we can't go swim in the ocean because there's like salt water or something. It's going to stink. But I'm so glad you made it on time. Look at that. Weddings and missed pads. I know. And no internet. And no internet. In this, the year of our Lord, 2021. So something else you and I have in common actually is that we're both only children. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? What was that like for you? Uh, I think it made (laughs) me weird. (laughs) I spent a lot of time alone. (laughs) But 
I think it also probably made you like super sociable and and you probably had a lot of older friends too. Yes, I've always had older friends. Having younger friends is a new experience for me now as an adult in my advanced years. Currently, (laughs) I find that I have younger friends who were born in like (laughs) years that I remember. (laughs) Yes. What is that about? Are you, is that happening to you? Oh yeah. Sometimes think do Gen Z people hate me? Like I sometimes think oh, no. that. I'm like, not in a bad way. It's like more like, you know, am I still relevant anymore? Mm-hmm. But I did talk to a Gen Z person the other day where I felt like, to your point about like history cycling, where I felt yeah. like he got me. And I was like, wait a oh, second, nice. there's other folks there. And then I met another Gen Z person who felt like an old soul. Like he too oh. has recently purchased a property and was talking about wallpaper choices. And I was like, whoa, wow. like, I was like, that's cool. Wow. Snig that look at you crossing the generational <laughs> divide and interacting with Gen Z with boldness and confidence. We love to see it. Okay. Tell me this. So have you ever been known as the something person? Like, for example, I was definitely the drama girl in high school and this could be school, could be work, could be friends, anything. Oh man. So many something persons in my life. I would say that when I was in elementary school, people would call me the spelling bee girl. This is what we talked about this yes, a little I bit. Yes, I was going to ask about that. I don't know how it happened because my parents truly are the, like the most chill people ever. Like they never okay. told me to do much or whatever, but I've always loved reading. I would definitely mm. pull that Matilda move where I would take out the maximum number of books from the library and just read a oh, ton. Oh, really? Yeah. And so I think I remember in third grade, I told the teacher, I don't think the spelling test is hard enough for me. And then she <gasps> oh. she allowed me to come up with a different test for myself. Oh and my I God. did. And this somehow led to me in fifth grade participating in the school B. And then I somehow got all the way to nationals. I didn't know the inside baseball at that time. It felt like pure luck. Like I didn't know that oh. there's actually like, just like any sport, Yeah. There are inside lists that are more likely to come up. Seriously? And you were in it twice, right? 2001 and 2004? Yes. And like, I definitely learned between that about what to do. Really? Yeah. There's so much tribal knowledge. And like, you can ask spellers ahead of you, what are these lists? And like, which one should I study? There's like word roots you can study. You also become more of a community. So we would have, do you remember AIM chat rooms? Are you still part of that generation? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So we would have AIM chat rooms where we would kind of have a rotating leader and one of them would do it a lot because he was awesome. And he would just be the moderator and he would spell out the pronunciation and then you would have to spell it. Oh, cool. Did you make a lot of friends in that circuit? Yeah, a lot of friends. They're the sweetest. Are you all still in touch? To differing levels, like some of them end up coming back into your lives in completely different ways. Like one of them went to business school with my partner. Another one of them, Sheil, one of your good friends, tweeted about and was like, remember the scene when this guy fainted? And then his name is Pratyush. And I didn't keep in close touch with him, but he responded to Sheil. And then it brought up this whole thread of other people talking. Yeah. So it was kind of funny to see that. How did it feel when you had to spell a word that you were unsure about? It feels very sweaty. I won't lie. Sweaty? (laughs) Yeah. Because there's actually so many lights on you. I remember it was back in the day, it's airing live on ESPN. But what you see as a little kid is you see these bright, bright lights that are on you. It's like literally like a sporting event. And there's like photographers clicking. And it's deadly silent. And this guy in front of you, he was great, Dr. Jacques Bailey, he would just Mm -hmm. say the word and he would just stare at you expectantly. And it was like so much pressure. I just remember feeling very sweaty and very hot because it was just like (laughs) 
so many bright lights and you feel so nervous. And then you come up with your own mechanisms to kind of get there. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, speaking of words, do you have a catchphrase or any other words or a phrase that you or other people feel are specific to you? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I feel so weird because I got it engraved into my AirPod case. What? I know. (laughs) Wait, I love that. Also, now I want to do that. (laughs) Tell me what you got engraved into your AirPods case. Such a good reminder. You just see it every day until, of course, the AirPods stop working and then it sucks. But yes, it's always be hustling. (gasps) ABH. ABH. Actually, that's what my partner and I call it. We're like, just ABH. Because whenever life feels tough and you're like, eh, there's two phrases we use. We're like stomp, stomp and ABH. Always be hustling and... (laughs) Don't think about others that much sometimes. Do your own thing. Is that what stomp stomp means? Yeah. It's like stomp stomp on like those other thoughts and those other people that are getting you down, like mentally, like not physically. Do not harm harm people, people. Uh, (laughs) Like that's not what we're saying here. Important (laughs) asterisk to stomp stomp. Do not literally stomp. Do not literally stomp. But mentally stomp out those negative energy and negative people and negative thoughts. And then always be hustling because you never know. He's in a different sector than I am. And sometimes Mm -hmm. all of our industries, no matter what you do, everyone always says no, right? There's going to be lots of no's. And for me, it's like, okay, every no is just like one less no to all of your paths to your yeses because they're coming. I have a friend who has a friend. So this is third hand now, (laughs) but he's a writer. And instead of setting a goal for, I believe it was like number of pieces that would get accepted. He had a rejection goal, which I loved because I love the perspective of how many no's can I get because it encourages you or at least what it has that mindset has encouraged in me is to reach higher. Because if you're not afraid of the no, you'll ask whoever for the thing or you'll ask for the opportunity or you'll try for the whatever that you thought you couldn't get. Yeah, I like that. Aiming for the no's. Every single time I get a no, I tell myself I'm going to write five more emails. Yeah, exactly. So you can get that ratio of the yes more than the no. So yeah, like I love that your friend did that. I know. Your friend of a friend of a friend. friend. (laughs) (laughs) I probably totally changed what that was actually said. This is like motivational telephone at this point, but whatever. It landed. It worked. Someone can engrave it on their AirPods. Okay. So how about this? Is there a fad that you look back on participating in? This could be something fashion, workout, cultural, honestly, whatever, that now you look back on and you're like, yeah, that was a little cringy. You know, I was never really the cool kid. And I don't think there are very few fads that I feel like I partook in that were even cool when I was doing it. Oh, really? They weren't even cool enough to become cringy. Yeah. But if there's one thing that I find cringy today for myself, not for other yeah. people, is I had bangs for a long part of my life okay. as a kid because everyone yes. was having bangs, but they were terrible. What a terrible choice. Bangs had a moment that I don't think I can quite describe to those who don't remember, but I mean, it truly was like everybody had bangs. You know what? I'm not blaming her because I think she's wonderful, but I think Zoe Day Chanel is in large part, not to blame, but I would attribute a lot of the bangs to her because she's so pretty. Bangs look so cute on her that I feel that many women in America especially were like, it's bangs time. Yeah. And like they framed her beautiful eyes. She was such a heartbreaker on 500 days this summer. How old were you when you had bangs? 
I want to say like six through 14. It was too long. I think I quickly realized, especially when it was all memorialized on Getty after doing the spelling bee in fifth grade, the bangs, I was like, can't go back to that. But that's <laughs> like, iconic also, right? To have bangs in the national spelling bee, Snigda. Was it iconic? Was it? Yes, yeah, I yes. mean, it was a look. It was definitely a look or like whatever. It was a strong look. <laughs> L-E-W-K. Thank you yes. very much. Thank it was you. strong. It was iconic. <laughs> you said that you didn't feel like you were cool. Cool. Was there ever a time when you felt like you were cool? I think I definitely did not feel cool in high school. Mm-hmm. I knew my place on yeah. campus, but mm-hmm. I also went to a really nerdy high school. Where'd you go to high school? I went to Stuyvesant in downtown Manhattan. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. I really did go to nerdy high school. So in a weird way, what I think was comforting for people was that you didn't really even have to have social capital. Like we all knew who the oh, cool kids man. were, but yeah. we also secretly knew it kind of didn't matter because we were going to wow. go off to college and be the cool kids. That was like the wow. kind of like the promised land which was like, we're going to be boring and nerdy here, but we know we're going to go to college and it's going to be awesome. And that's a privilege. That is empowering. (laughs) That's very much a privilege. I get it. But yes, that's what we thought. Some of us thought. Wow, that's (laughs) awesome. Because it's like, if everyone is, to use your word nerdy, I would say everyone I know from Stuyvesant is crazy smart. (laughs) It's nice to have that in common so that you can go through it as a shared experience as opposed to other high schools where people have, I would say, varying degrees of commitment to things like academics or athletics, and then hierarchies develop because one small group decides, here's what's cool, and then if you're not in a little circle, you're out of it. I think what's really interesting is that even in a quote-unquote smart school like Stuy, yeah. there were those very same hierarchies in other high schools. What made someone cool at Stuyvesant? Similar things. So, like, the athletes were cool. Like, everyone on okay. the swim team was cool. Like, on the football team, they were cool. Ooh, the cheerleaders okay. were cool. There were cheerleaders at Stuyvesant? There were cheerleaders. And then we got (laughs) into trouble because there was a controversial uh, New York Magazine article called The Cuddle Puddle. So these were the kids who liked to cuddle and probably had sex. Who knows? Like, but then there were like the people who smoked weed and there were like the Alice on the wall people because we had like a wall outside Sty that had a painting of Alice on Wonderland. And so there were people who would smoke weed and do drugs there. I love that you called them Alice on the wall people. Yeah, that's what we would call them because of course we're so intellectual. And then we didn't call them the druggies. We would call them the Alice on the wall people or some of us would. And then there were the cheaters. Like we knew who the cheaters were. People who cheated? People who cheated. At school? At school. Oh my God. I truly (laughs) find that so reprehensible. I've never cheated on anything in my entire life. I have a friend who told me recently that he used to cheat at Monopoly when he was a kid. And I am not kidding. I was aghast. That's outrageous. I'm so glad you used that word because I use the word aghast a lot and people think they overuse it. Well, then they're wrong. (laughs) Yes. Can you believe that? (laughs) Why? What is the point of cheating in a board game? I'm worried though now that I said that, that you're like, I used to do that, but I don't think you would ever do that. No, no, no. I didn't actually cheat at board games. Same thing. I was like, what was the point? Same thing with high school. Like some people would be like, well, I want to get into great college. So I'm cheating on this math test. And I'm like, no, man, like you just took away a spot maybe from someone who didn't cheat. Who knows? Oh my God. It's so hard to be better than everyone else, Nigga. You know, (laughs) I just, for you and I, that is our struggle. (laughs) The last thing I'm going to say is there were also like mm. geographic areas. So like like one floor really? was like the magic card floor. That's where everyone played magic oh, cards. I'm not even joking. God. It was great. I love that. It was a great microcosm of the world. <laughs> that honestly sounds really, really fun. I'm super excited that you had that experience because that sounds awesome, actually. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So if you were kidnapped, but you had the chance to communicate with your friends and family and needed to secretly let them know that something was wrong, what would you say? 
I think it'd have to be something really weird and uncharacteristic. Probably be something like, oh, mm-hmm. I hate Bollywood. And they'd be like, who is this person? <laughs> You're really into Bollywood, right? I'm so into Bollywood. What aspects of it do you love? Going back to being an only child, the way my parents and I connected was that Every weekend, we would watch one Bollywood movie and one Hollywood movie. Oh! Movies just became this thing that really connected us because otherwise, like, what do older people have in common with, like, a young little kid? It's just, like, you got to create a shared memory. I think I always associate Bollywood with time with my parents, and my mom would tell me all the Bollywood gossip as we would watch Bollywood. Oh, really? Like, who was together and all that good stuff? Like, who was dating whom? Who cheated on who? (gasps) Who had other controversies? Which one had mob money driving the film? I have it in my Twitter bio. Like, I'm a walking, talking Bollywood encyclopedia because of, like, all this off-screen knowledge that I'm like, what do I do with it? (laughs) Okay, so can you tell me the story of how you ended up dubbing your voice for Priyanka Chopra? Yes. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. That's something I know that happened, but I don't know that yes. So it's so funny, but I somehow convinced my college to give me yeah. money to go sure. report on Bollywood in Bombay. Oh my God. Of course. <laughs> you know, that's like strong ABH vibes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I like did this whole essay. I made it sound really compelling. I got the scholarship or like this that. funding. And then I asked this guy in my Hindi class because mm-hmm. I kind of knew he kind of liked me. And then I was like, sure. hey, of course. And then I was like, hey, like <laughs> he had told me that his mom knew a Bollywood producer because they went to journalism school together. So I was like, hey, can you introduce me to this person? And totally fine if not, but I'm willing to be a free intern at her production company. And it ended up working out. And so I ended up interning at this Bollywood production company called XL Entertainment. A lot of Bollywood snobs or know-it-alls will know about this company because they're super awesome. Yeah. And I, using that kind of one connection, I ended up interviewing all these people in Bollywood and then interviewing more people because people would introduce me to their friends. And I was this 20-year-old kid from college who was very non-threatening. And I met the sound designer who helped change sound in Indian film. So this is a crazy thing. But you know, from 1957 to 2000, Hmm. you will appreciate this because we're recording right now. In India, they would shoot audio and video separately. No. Because it was so loud in like India. So they would shoot the video. Oh my God. So was it all dubbed? Yeah. So then they'd get the actors to come back in and dub everything. And it sounded ridiculous when you think about it. Like There's a lot of unrealism there. Yeah, I'm sure you can tell right when you're watching it you can't unsee it once i tell you that hopefully like watch one of those older movies and you're like oh, oh my god. god but this guy knuckle Kamte, he was trained in la and he learned proper sound design so he came back okay. to india and he introduced it in this film called lagan which was nominated for an oscar because the sound was so freaking good oh my but god. sound dubbing went from like 100 percent in india to probably about like 10 percent because sometimes you still get lines you can't really nail of course which is true of all films for sure true of all films so there was a scene in which i don't know if i was priyanka or if i i think it was a woman yelling at priyanka but apparently there was a movie <laughs> where priyanka's working in a cafe in new york and you don't okay. see her manager's face and so they yeah. needed a person with an american accent and he had met me he's like yo do you want to dub for me and i was like sure oh he didn't have to pay me any money. So I like was the angry person, I think, who fired Priyanka. Now, I don't know to this day if my voice made the final cut because I watched sure. the movie and I can't tell. <laughs> that is awesome. Is it on Netflix or anything? I'll look it up and let you know. The movie's called Anjana Anjani. It's not okay. that great. I won't lie. But, <laughs> but there's one line that really sticks out. And it's the manager yelling at Priyanka Chopra. There's one line that's the pinnacle, the peak of the film. Exactly. Snigda, speaking of entertainment, you love The Great British Bake Off. I love The Great British Bake Off. It's so good. Yes. It's the best. (laughs) 
I also love The Great British Bake Off, but I want to talk about it because here's the deal. I started watching The Great British Bake Off because I was at my friend's apartment and he put it on and I felt like a child that had been pacified by a cartoon. (laughs) I sat there and I was like, oh my God, this is so nice. Like not, oh wow, this is particularly stimulating, but I was just like, oh yeah, that bread, um, that bread looks good. You know, like for hours, we watched hours and hours of it. But I don't really look at it as like, oh, I can't wait to watch it. It's more just like when it's on, I feel at peace. And so I'm curious, how did you get into watching the show? And how are you feeling now that it's coming back? Now that it is back? I feel like I probably watched clips of it. I didn't realize the import of it because my grandparents, my mom's uncle and aunt actually live in England. So we used to go visit them Mm. growing up. And I'm 100% sure clips of Great British Bake Off used to be playing while I used to hang out with my grand aunt. And I never connected the dots, right? And it's one of those things when you kind of deja vu it. And then I finally saw it when it came onto Netflix. Yeah. And I similarly was like, oh my God, this is amazing. This is so soothing. (laughs) And I think the reason I love it so much is I was one of those weird kids going back to being one of those not cool kids in elementary school, probably until college. That's probably when I became cool. I used to run home. I remember specifically in third grade from school and run home because around 3.30, this wonderful woman named Gail Gand on Food Network Mm -hmm. would do this show called Sweet Dreams where she would bake (gasps) all this stuff. Oh my God. I just love the idea of like watching other people make food. I don't know why. Do you bake? (laughs) I used to bake a lot in elementary, middle school, and high school. Yeah. So you stopped in college? I stopped in college. I mean, it was just so much harder to get all the ingredients and the things. And in a dorm and stuff too. It was challenging. It was very challenging. But in high school, I used to bake because I had a problem with sleeping also where Oh, really? I couldn't really fall asleep and I was working too much. And so I would sometimes Mm -hmm. bake cookies. Like, please don't do this if you're going to fall asleep. But I used to bake cookies because it would (laughs) force you to pull out the cookies every 20 minutes so you couldn't like fall asleep. The stakes were high. I couldn't burn the house down. So I had to like be alert. Were you trying not to sleep? Well, sometimes I was. Because there was so much to do. There was so much to do. There were too many tests. This feels like a cautionary tale. Snicka. Don't do this. I'm worried for your high school version of you with the bangs, no less. I know. Well, the, I think the bangs got... I, I tried to get rid of the bangs by the time I got Okay, bangs that was, got in the chop. That had to go. That had to go. But no, I think that I would do that. And then I would bring it to school the next day and then people would have cookies. And then I stopped doing that in college because I was like, I don't have time for this. And I got to sleep in college. Do you have any (laughs) weird negative associations with baking now because you used it during such a stressful time in your life? No, because going back to what you were saying, there's something soothing about baking because it kind of feels like you're like, outsourcing mental energy because for a lot of the recipes, it's like you just got to follow the recipe, right? So it's like, oh, like... I totally agree. Because I'm not... I'm kind of garbage at cooking. Do you bake? God, how much do I want to say yes to the question, do you bake? I want to be someone that bakes so badly, but truly it's like, I wish I could bake. I don't have any time. Maybe you and I should bake together. Yeah, I'd love to do that. We can bring it back. Okay, so let's bake something. I actually really Let's bake something. Yeah, let's do it. Stinkta, what's the tiniest hill you're willing to die on? Oh, I was so prepared for this question because I listened to Hunter Walk's (laughs) podcast recording and I was like, I'm prepared for this one. All right, here we go. Ready? Yes. Active versus passive sentences. Okay. Okay. Let's get into it. Talk to me (laughs) for our listeners' benefit and mine. (laughs) What do you mean? I hate passive sentences with a deep, deep, deep passion. All right. Hit me with a passive sentence so that I know what that means. Kamala Harris was elected by the people. 
I see. And an active version of that would be the people voted for Kamala Harris or the people mm, elected Kamala Harris. Mm-hmm. It's just so much more powerful. And you know what's amazing? One of my friends actually posted this thing on Instagram that completely underlined the reason for active in a much more important way than I ever mm. could articulate. She pointed out when people say things like, the girl mm-hmm. was abducted, you're emitting yes. the actor who has been certainly doing that to the person. That's a big problem with the passive versus active structure, especially in reporting. Exactly. Active sentences are much more powerful. They don't let the perpetrator slide. It's really important. Yes, I understand that there are some sentences where you cannot solve the mystery <laughs> and you can say, yes, the cookie was eaten and you do not know by whom. I get it. Right. How does it feel, though, when someone says a sentence like that? Do you understand? Do you have compassion in that I moment? do have compassion when it's unclear who the perpetrator or actor in that situation is. <laughs> well, by the way, perpetrator makes it sound like eating the cookie was a crime. Yes. <laughs> Could have cookie. been. Could have been. Could have been. But I think in the situations where we know, I think yeah. it's often like sidestepping the issue. And so that's like a small hill I'm willing to die on, sort of. And my entire team knows this. My partner knows this. Sometimes like he'll write something or someone will write something to me. I'll rephrase it in my head because it's this oh is God. like the better phrasing. But are you someone that will correct somebody else out loud if they use a passive sentence? No. In private with people I trust. Yes. You know, my partner sometimes mispronounces words. And I think mm. this is like an immigrant mentality. I think I was made so much fun of, you know, I moved from India to America yeah. when I first moved here and having an accent and mispronouncing things that mm-hmm. when he specifically mispronounces something, I usually like, I'm like, uh, can I like share the way it's supposed to be pronounced? <laughs> and of course, dudes have such thick skin and he's like, yeah, whatever. Like, I don't really right. care. Like, right. <laughs> I'll just do it in my head. I just do it in my head when people say stuff that's not pronounced the w- because also it makes me doubt for a second. Maybe I'm wrong. And oh my God, imagine correcting someone and then you were wrong. That's my waking nightmare. Is there a song that whenever you hear it totally takes you back in time? Yes, but it's kind of embarrassing to admit. Okay, let's hear it. Because I know this person is really controversial right now, but I truly think his music has been genius. But I okay. really, really, really love Kanye, Jay-Z, and and also this other person, Nicki Minaj's mm-hmm. Monster. I it's love such a song. good song. Where does that take you back to? It came out around the later years of college for me. So I don't know if I remember, I don't know if I was a sophomore, junior, or senior, but it felt like it was like the latter half of my like college journey. What year did you graduate? I graduated in 2012. 2012. So you were a junior because I was a sophomore. There you go. And I remember specifically when that song came out, because it came out just prior to Halloween, my sophomore year. What was so amazing for me is that the lyrics I couldn't get out of my head were Nicki Minaj's. Yes! God, her verse is so good! Her verse was way more excellent than the dudes. The dudes... I had three roommates at the time at NYU, and that was all we talked about for a week. We were just like, Nikki's verse is so much better than anyone else's. And she didn't even get credit. Jay-Z and Kanye interpreted monster literally. And Nicki Minaj talked about the monster within each of us. Mm. We are our own monsters. The second Mm. thing she did was she said this line was, you could be the king, but watch the queen conquer. And Uh, it reminded me of chess. Queen is the most powerful piece. Mm. The entire time you're playing chess, like the king is like the most vulnerable piece. It's like the weakest link. Oh, yeah, totally. So you could be the king, but the queen's going to conquer. Like, get ready for it. I love that verse. I am so glad you and your roommates agree. <laughs> I know the words to it. That's how much I love it. Do you know what I mean? Right? <laughs> I know. We. So my one of my really good friends, he and I would literally, whenever the song would come out, because we had also memorized the lyrics, just like rap yeah. along. 
Yeah. Because that's what you did. Yes. Wow. Okay. So I think that what we should do is I think we should make a date to bake something, but also listen to my beautiful dark twisted fantasy. Yes. In that that could be the soundtrack to our <laughs> great British bake off. Yes, please. Okay. I love that. That's amazing. Okay. Two part question for you. Who would play you in a movie about your life? And would this be a biopic? So start to present day or should we focus in on a particular chapter of your story? I have a special third part for you, which is, would we want to make it Bollywood style or Hollywood style? So I'm going to do a special shout out to this amazing woman and actor who I've just gotten the privilege to know. Hmm. She plays Nelani in Never Have I Ever. Okay. Her name is Purna Jagannathan. And she is so incredible because she has grown up in multiple parts of the world. She wanted to be a journalist. And so I kind of resonate with her. So I'd love for her to play me if she would ever want to play me. She's just fantastic. And then in terms of what would the biopic, would it be the present day or the entire story? It can be the entire story. Or if there's like a particular time in your life that you think would make a really riveting film. There's two ways this can go. It's either it focuses on the time that... I did the spelling bee stuff because like I did think it was like a really crazy weird time in my life. That is wild. (laughs) And I want people to see people also not winning because I didn't go and win the national spelling bee. I just was an okay speller who won the city, but I didn't win the nationals. And I think it's okay for people to see that in movies. So I think that could be a fun part to dive into. And Hollywood or Bollywood. Yeah, what do you think? Oh my God, I'm going to do a cop out. I would love it (gasps) to be kind of like the style that we've seen come out from, you know, some of the never have I ever's of the world or the sex educations of the world where it is kind of Hollywood. It's kind of realistic, but in my head, it's also, there's a lot of suspension of disbelief and a lot of world building. Mm. And I'd love to see that. Like something... Yeah, a little bit different. We could do some Bollywood influence if you exactly. wanted without it being like a full Bollywood film. The Bollywood part that I really love that I still yeah. think American films don't have mm-hmm. is that the original soundtracks for Bollywood films are truly sensational. I would want yeah. a completely original soundtrack for that. my film. <laughs> so like song breaks where it's like three minutes in the Bollywood films I've seen. There's a lot of like dancing in fields together. <laughs> <laughs> What's interesting is a lot of that's changed. So a lot of the songs now are far more realistic. And really? sometimes the songs play in the background. Sometimes they're happening as you're walking and thinking. Mm. So I think in a weird way, Bollywood has become far more Hollywood in the past few years. And some people don't like it. Like, I'm happy to send you some oh, recs. Wow. But that's why I think I'd want the original soundtrack part. I'm not sure if I want the singing and dancing yet. Oh, okay, cool. That's actually the perfect way to blend the two, right? Because then it's like we're taking influence, but it's not necessarily just like totally recreating a Bollywood movie. Yay. What is something that you're really good at that it would be very surprising for most people to learn about you? I'm really, really, really good at untying knots. Really? Like particularly good? (laughs) Really good at it. What kind of knots? Shoelaces? Any kind of knot. I don't know if you had that friend where, you know, back in the day when you're wired, you know, headphones got... Oh, they would hand them to you. They would hand it to me. Or if their shoelaces are stuck, they'd be like, yeah. yo, can you help me? Or if like for my mom, sometimes my dad would... I don't know if you ever had this in your family. He would mm. put something in a plastic bag and tie it with three knots. And my mom would be like, can you help <laughs> me untie this? What about necklaces? Yeah. That's what I really struggle with. I've untangled necklaces. Sometimes when you wear a sari, you wear this petticoat below it. And then you yep. tie it with a knot to make sure it mm-hmm. sticks. 
I've untied many of those knots for my mom, for myself, for my friends. So yeah, I'm really good at untying knots. So let me know. Do you consider yourself a patient person? I don't. I'm sorry. I'm like probably really impatient. I think patience can be overrated. Are you patient? Uh, like about some things, but I don't know that anyone has ever in the history of my being said, yes, Alexis is a patient person. I can be patient when the opportunity calls for it, but I'm not particularly, you know, that's not like my vibe. I don't have a patient vibe. But the reason I ask is that I also like untying knots. Like I like solving things, but I think that to be good at untying knots specifically, I think you have to exercise patience because you have to look at it, know that it's like totally a clusterfuck, but then you have to have the patience to say like, this can be again, a rope. That I think takes truly looking at it and being like, no, we can do this. And then you have to be patient. I also think it has a lot to do with this whole immigrant or non-immigrant like hustler mentality of delayed gratification, Mm. which is to your point, it will be a rope again, but also, yes, it sucks right now, but there will be something later, like, you know, that there will be a delayed gratification. Like my mom would tell me when I was Mm. growing up, I'm Bengali, not just Indian, but specifically there's a subculture Mm -hmm. of Bengali and we're known for eating fish. And growing up, I hated, hated fish, but there was one fish I would eat. And my mom Mm. was flabbergasted because the fish that I would really like in Bengali, it's called Ilishmach in English. I think it's shad fish. Okay. It's notoriously is very, has lots and lots of bones, but I would sit there as a little kid and pick out the bones and eat the fish. And my mom was like, like you said, a gas. She was like, this kid does not like fish and she's eating yeah. this fish. Like what's not like what's wrong with her, but like, no, but this is strange. Is, that's very interesting. Well, it kind of reminds me of one of my favorite books, which is Grit by Angela Duckworth. Are you familiar with it? I have it on my bookshelf and I still haven't read it. I need to, now I need to read it. Well, the truth is that I think you're someone who probably already employs a lot of what she describes as grit. And so I don't know that this book is going to change your life in particular because always be hustling and grit to me are two concepts that are somewhat similar. But what I love about grit is that it talks about the importance and the value in continuing to put in the work and being diligent and committed to whatever craft it is that you're trying to be excellent at instead of relying only on talent. Mm. And delayed gratification in my life often comes from recognizing that, sure, talent is great, That's so, to me, over here on the side. If you have talent, amazing. But grit, determination, having that motivation to keep going, knowing that there's something at the end, to me, that is so much more valuable. And I try to actively remember that when things are challenging or when I don't want to do the thing, but I want to get better at the thing. We're going to take a quick break and I'll be right back. This episode of Non-Technical is still brought to you by Bets Recruiting. Whether you're looking to hire the best go-to-market talent or looking for your next opportunity, Bets can help. Okay, friends, I'm bringing you what I think may be the one and only time I allow myself to use a phrase like this on the podcast. Here we go. Let's talk about the future of work. I'm not telling you anything you don't know when I say the future of work is kind of happening right now. Companies all over are figuring out whether they want folks in the office or out of the office or kind of in the office or pods or whatever. You may be having those conversations at your company and you may or may not like what's being decided. Either way, the good news is you can join the Bets Recruiting Network to find a company that's totally aligned with what you're looking for from your work setup. Whether that's being in office, best buds with your desk mate, or literally never finding out how tall your coworker is. Learn more about finding your next role or hiring top talent at betsrecruiting.com slash non-technical. And we're back with Snigda Sir, the founder and CEO of The Juggernaut. Snigda, very important moment in the episode. Are you ready for the lightning round? Yes, I am. I am. <laughs> I'm terrified, but I'm ready. I'm ready. 
That's perfect. All I want is just sheer terror in the eyes of my guests. Okay. Coffee or tea? Tea. What kind of tea? Usually a chai or any form <laughs> of herbal tea. I'm a, I'm a tea great. snob. Does one tea reign supreme? What does a tea snob drink? I think a tea snob just always has like multiple varieties of tea. So when people are like, what kind of tea? They're like, oh my God. Like, let me tell you the context for which, you know, for which context. Oh, okay. a, which a tea, tea for yeah, any yeah. day. A tea for every occasion. A tea for, yeah. A tea, a tea for every situation. I love that. <laughs> okay. Do you have a favorite board game? I did like Monopoly a lot as a kid. Me too. So many people on this podcast say Monopoly. It's unhinged. <laughs> Do you think it's because we liked like the idea of money and owning things. And I have I no idea. I think it has to do with the type of people who I, I, I end up interviewing. I really do. Like, I think that guests on non-technical like Monopoly at a disproportionate rate compared to the rest of the world. I really believe that. I also really like Scrabble as a kid. Oh, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah. As an adult, though, one thing that's so funny is like, you know, when you want to really be good at something, but you're not really good at it, but whatever. Sure. I still play Settlers of Catan as much as I possibly can with anyone who will let me, but I always lose. I'm like, okay. That's okay. You're in it for the love of the game. Sometimes you got to be in it for the love of just like settling, you know, build that (laughs) longest road. Doesn't matter where it leads. Oh, put that on a needle point. Oh my God. Oh, I'm so wise. It's so hard. You are so wise. wise. Have you ever read a book twice? Yes. What book? Midnight Children. Once alone and once that it was required reading for a class. What was your biggest takeaway? My biggest takeaway was reading it alone allowed me to explore it in a way without other people's interpretations. I think reading it with the class, it was kind of interesting to see in a weird way. It was like nice, but also weirdly disturbing because you could see what 40 other people thought about that same thing you read. And the second time, I think I was was doing the weird thing where I kind of made notes in my head where things could have been shorter. Okay. But that's bad. That's mean of me. (laughs) Someone rushed you. Don't listen to this podcast. It was fine. It was a great piece of work. (laughs) Do you have a pump up song? Yeah. What is my pump up? It's that song, Remember My Name from Fort Minor. I don't know it. How does it go? Wait, can I I play it? Let me see if I can play it. Oh, yeah. (laughs) All right. So you listen to that if you want to get fired up. Yeah. I sometimes listen to it also when I do these like hit running classes oh, and yeah. whenever they're like, make you want to go run up a freaking hill at a really yeah. high speed. I listen to that. Yeah. Cause I'm like, there's no freaking way I'm going to run up this hill at high I speed. I love that. This. No, music is so motivational. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We've come to our final question. Snigged out. What would you title your memoir? <laughs> I'm laughing because one of my really good friends asked me this question before. Really? Yeah. <laughs> but then he titled it for me. He's like, let me just title you it for How you. How did you feel about his title? It was funny. It was indefatigable was his title. Oh, really? Is that the word that I've been pronouncing indefatigable? Probably. Yep. <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> I guess like the simpler word for that is tireless. His, his yeah, point exactly. is going back to grit and yeah. always be hustling. Yeah. He always felt that I would just like regardless of how hard something was, I'd keep like trying for it, I guess. Absolutely. And so what would you title your memoir? I never really asked myself that. A small part of me just wants to title it one of my favorite words when I was doing the spelling bee circuit and has nothing at all to do with my bio, but the word is akimbo. Oh. Do you know that word? Doesn't it mean stretched out? You're like your arms and legs akimbo? What was really interesting was that the language of origin is unknown. And I kind of love that about the word. I just always love the way the word sounded. I think I remember seeing the word in um, To Kill a Mockingbird. The word comes up in, in such interesting ways. And so I would probably call it that, even though it probably doesn't have as much to do with my direct life. No, I love it so much. I, and I think that when you do have your arms and legs akimbo, you're very open. 
you're open to experience and to what's next. And I think that there are a lot of ways, at least in which I think that could apply to some of the stuff that you've done. And I think depending on what you include in the memoir could be super relevant. And I agree. It's a great word. Yay. Okay. (laughs) We did it. We did the pod. (laughs) We did the pod. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining me on Non-Technical. Where can people find more about you? My name is very SEO optimized, which we've joked about on Clubhouse. So you can find (laughs) me on all the social media handles at just my name and my last name. So that's S-N-I-G-D-H-A-S-U-R. And then if you want to find what I do, you can find it on Instagram as our primary channel underscore the juggernaut. That's fantastic. And you can find me at Yay Alexis Gay on Twitter and Instagram or at Non-Technical Pod on Twitter. Snigda, one more time. Thank you so much for joining me. It has been such a pleasure. I'm excited for us to bake and listen to Monster. Maybe we'll just skip specifically to Nicki Minaj's verse. Yes. <laughs> yes. And then we can watch a Bollywood movie. Maybe the one where you Let's yell at Chopra. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do again. all of that. Bye. 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 